outside the box of religious obligation lies a road less travelled into the heart of the Father's affection. Slinging freedom all over the place, this is the God Chain. Well, Kyle, I want to introduce you to a new friend of mine. Oh. <laughs> and if Hi, you're not, if you're listening to this on audio, you might want to grab the video at some point, the feed. This is our new uh, substitute for Abby. This oh. is Mandy. Oh, and she wants to get down because she's been held way too much today. Anyway, <laughs> that's Mandy. Hi, sweetheart. Oh, you, you are adorable. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, she's going to talk to the cod. Go ahead, wine for him. Wine for the audience. <laughs> Unfortunately, that means Abby had to go to the great meadow in the sky or something. Mm. So, yeah, we had to say goodbye to Abby last week, which was the day after we recorded. So, well, people have known that Abby's passed on and. What a great dog she was, but boy, it's time for the next chapter. And our next chapter is uh, without Abby and with Zoe and Mandy. It's, I've deeply respected your, your, I don't even know if I want to say policy or trend or what I want to call it, but by having puppy time shortly after having a, a dear friend, a dear fur friend pass away, having a puppy invade your home. It's a really interesting strategy, policy idea that uh, we, I don't know. It's been really intriguing watching you do that because I've, I don't know. I've seen you see get Zoe and now I've seen Mandy be added to the family. And yeah. It's not a policy for sure. <laughs> a lot of it has to do with Sarah. When a dog passes away, I turn to Sarah and say, how soon do you want to start looking? And mm. Sarah's always today. Sarah, Sarah really wants to get a puppy right away. And I probably would have taken a few days break if it was up to me, just uh, getting through the Abby thing. Her end of life issues yeah. was a little complicated and painful. And so saying goodbye to her was the thing. And I probably would have taken a breath. But the problem is we've been watching this litter of puppies born about 30 minutes away, caught them first on Craigslist a couple of weeks ago. So we were kind of okay. eyeballing that going, okay, those are getting right about time to adopt. And then when we had to put, we had some a thing we tried with Abby the week before she died, which was supposed to extend her life some, and it was some put her on steroids and that was supposed to help. But the problem is the steroid went to the tumor and actually advanced her condition. And oh, so, wow. yeah, we were pretty much going to take a pass on those pups until Abby passed away. And then we, okay, well, so I said, how soon do you want to look? She, I'd long look today. And which she's kind of kidding, just the next first shot we got, I said, well, there's a litter of pups. We can go down tomorrow, today. So I called the guy and he said, um, they're available for adoption today, which was the day Abby passed away. We said, well, come today or tomorrow. He said, why don't you come down tonight? So Sarah wanted to go down. So we went down. <laughs> litter of 12 puppies, seven female, which is kind of our preference for dogs. And okay, we just sat in the middle of seven puppies trying to figure out which one we'd take. Not one of them was claimed. And hmm. in Zoe's case, there was only two left. So we were, we were only at a selection between two. And we couldn't, we couldn't make that decision. It, we'd had to finally flip a coin because we just couldn't. This one, we just playing with them and being with them and seemed cuddly and cute. And we said, okay, we'll take this one. Okay. I was wondering how you decided among seven puppies. I mean, that would be a tough decision. Mandy came home with us. And so we've had Mandy ever since. And Sarah and I switch off uh, night times. She had last night. So I get tonight, which is about three in the morning. The dog wants company. Ah, okay. <laughs> Somebody gets up and plays with her for about 45 minutes and she crashes again. So then they get back in bed. <laughs> yeah, it's been kind of How wild. do you do the, how do you do the puppy potty training? Do you do crates or what do you do? 
She's in a crate overnight, but mostly during the day okay. she's going. Sarah's Sarah's potty training technique is every time it wakes up, it goes outside, and every time, every half hour or so, you just take her out, and they oh, finally okay. just get used to it. We don't ever, we have very few accidents inside because we're just always taking her out. Yeah, in the nighttime, you know, whatever accidents she has in the crate, we deal with. But now she's yeah. whining to get out because she wants to go potty. So that's good. Nice, very okay. nice. And leave the cage open in the day. So often she runs in there to take a nap. We don't see her for a while. And we'll go, she's in her, she's back in her cage. So she's finding uh, it a comforting spot too. That's a huge plus when they see their crate as their safe space. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, and Zoe's a little slow on the pickup here to add someone to the family. So she, she has a little Abby grieving and then the pup's just nipping at her heels all the time. So, <laughs> but a few days ago, two, two days ago, two days after we got her in here, Zoe started playing with her. Huh. Okay. Not, not very often, but occasionally she'll pick up a toy and kind of tease her with it and they'll chase a little bit. And so Zoe's warming up to her. And last night they slept back to back while we were watching a little TV last night. So that, ah. Zoe hasn't been allowing that. We, we're still young enough to remember Zoe doing this to Abby. So we just look at Abby. Zo, Zoe says, it's payback, girl. Man, you did this to Abby. You did the same thing. Here it is. But you know, last week I had someone send me a poem. And I actually sent it because I had a good friend pass away last week. And I did a little yeah. thing on my blog to, about them. And uh, this is Dana who wrote the, the thing on trauma that I read a while ago about leaving your past mm -hmm. behind. This is Dana Andreessen from Charlottesville, Virginia. This poem's titled Autumn and so appropriate for in so many ways. Summer makes its exit like a treasured soul who runs through my hands like water which grasping cannot hold. With tenderness, I release my grip and watch it float upward like a crimson leaf on this morning's current toward a crisp blue sky, then settle like autumn to a littered ground of harvest color. I lift it up, body and soul, treasure it, beautiful, palms open for what it is, for what it was, for what it may become. I press it between the pages of a beloved book, relishing the stories I find there, and put it on my shelf of favorites whose lines I will quote from time to time, which has played a part in my becoming. At times I will reread the volume of what was written in indelible ink, while knowing that seasons change. After musing a while, I'll close the book, place the treasured tome in its place of honor, and walk out into the unfolding of today. Mm. That's the best thing I heard last mm -hmm. week, I think. I, it's, it's such a gift to be able to live in the fullness of the day, to let go of things that we need to let go of, whether it's a good friendship, whether it's a good fur friend that lived with Sarah and I, to grieve the loss, to hold the memory, which I think is what grieving does. Grieving, grieving takes all the pain out of memory and allows the memories to be treasured. That, that can take weeks and years, depending on how close somebody was to you. But yeah. to me, that's the joy of grief. I mean, all our previous dogs, there's no sting in their memories anymore. It's just joy. Mm. At Abby, there's still some sting because we miss her. Yeah. But it's really wonderful. And I think I've only learned this in the last two or three years, how to hold joy and pain in my heart at the same time. You go, okay, this is great. This is joyful. This is a new puppy in the house. And mm. this is Abby's, the hole that she left here which we still are aware of because she was yeah. such a good dog and such a critical part of our life that Abby lived with us through. I love that poem. And Autumn, I love Autumn anyway. And the whole idea of just taking it, holding it, honoring it, 
shouldn't say crying here, but crying is a big part of how Sarah and I do yeah. that. And then let it go because life is going to continue to unfold today. Mm-hmm. And Abby definitely a part of shaping us. She wrote, she didn't know about Abby when she sent this to me. It was more about Tom Moan, my friend out of Tulsa who passed away. And I've lost quite a few of those recently, my mentor types, the mm-hmm. Kevin Smiths and the Dave Coleman's and my own father and and now Tom Moan. And yeah. And it just, and that's how I feel. It's okay to hold it, to grasp it, to weep over it, to let it go, to watch what unfolds today. What new relationships are to be had and what new puppy invited your home. <laughs> I enjoy that. I enjoy the freedom I've not had most of my life to say goodbye to things that no longer fit and hello to things that do as each day passes. Why do you say no longer fit? What do you mean by that? Well, people who die, they no longer fit because they're not here, right? Yeah. Sometimes really good relationships just drift apart. Just there's no way to hold on to it. They, they do, I do, whatever. And some relationships turn toxic. Mm, and yeah. even, some, even saying goodbye to the old home we lived in and hello to this one. Um, embracing the transition of life. I've had two years just of shock and awe with a couple of things that went on in my life. Most people know about one of them. They don't know about the other that were intensely painful and that shifted some major things in my life. So some things, because people grow toxic, don't fit. Even if you try to rescue it in any way you can, if there's not a a corresponding change on the other side of it. Hmm. And then even, I mean, I was hot after a book I was writing a year and a half ago when my life changed. Yeah. And I really felt like I'm just going to roll with the change. If I, if I never write again, if I never speak again, if I never go travel again, this is really about Sarah and her wholeness. And Hmm. last week for the first time I wrote with the passion that I had before. Hmm. Not working on the same thing because my life's trajectory went another direction. I may get back to that someday. (laughs) But yeah, I've had, I, I finally, I, I didn't know if I'd ever write again, quite honestly. I don't mean blogs and stuff, because I continue to yeah. do that. But I mean, to take a, another book in hand and take a, a major project. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one keeps rising in my soul. I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point, but not not now. Last week, I had a couple of options to sit down for some significant time and watch that book take shape in my heart and put words mm-hmm. to the computer page and uh, watch those words live. And so... I I have really enjoyed the fact that God's brought me to a place through however this journey works out where, okay, this is what today is. And even I hear people, I heard someone say the other day, well, this is never going to be. And I just looked at them and said, well, it's not today and it may not yeah. be tomorrow, but you don't know that it won't be. You don't, you don't know what will or won't be. And we seem to, and I've done this. So I, I know what it is from the inside of that to be able to go, okay, it's never going to happen. I can just write that off, blah, blah, instead of saying, no, don't know. Hmm. And I've seen things that I that I wrote off come back. So I don't write off things anymore. I'll just say, hmm. it's not for today. Hmm. We'll see what tomorrow is. So what what fits for today? Sarah's thing about creating, which we talked about in one of the podcasts with Sarah, creating a whole new world. And you can invite yeah. anybody into that world, and you don't have to invite people into that world. You don't want to be in there. And that that's just a great way to say, what fits in my life right now? And not not as a way to you know, dismiss people that are going through problems or having difficult times, because we have difficult relationships that we love people through. And it's it's not a matter of happiness and convenience. It's a matter of recognizing 
when something I think for Sarah's and I and some of this has been true for for me too, it's the toxic people in your life that you finally have mm. to say, not never, not just no for now. If yeah. something changes, we're here. But if it doesn't change, then we we can let that go. I really like the imagery of trying to grasp water, especially flowing water and trying to hold on to it and how it slips through your hands and it slips through your fingers. And there's still substance there. You know that it's there. And yet to try to grab hold of it is it's impossible to do. And I really like that imagery because I think that's. Man, I when I think of rest, love and play, that's what I think of Hmm. is that idea of at least for me anyway, I tried to cling on to so many things so tightly and yet they weren't mine to cling on to that. That wasn't the invitation. That wasn't the experience. Yeah. And once I was able to release that and allow it to be, you know, that water that flows and, and not be angry that it's water that's flowing through my hands that I can't grip onto or hold on to, it's far more enjoyable. And there isn't the, the pressure to hold on to it or maintain it, but just to enjoy it for what it is in the moment. And and treasure it in the now to be in t- attuned to the experience and treasure it in the now without having to force it into something else. If that makes sense, like force it into a, a, a different kind of existence or a different type of relationship. Yeah. I like the phrasing shoes with that same imagery you're talking about the phrasing to me, which grasping cannot hold. It talks about water. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's not like, you know, I can give this up. It's you can't hold it anyway. So you're not really yeah, giving exactly. anything up. You're just, you're just owning the reality of things. And yeah. it makes it easier to live inside the reality. If I'm trying to grasp at something that's ungraspable, because like you said, it was never mine to have. It was never mine to control. But to honor what that passing thing does in your life, even relationships that may go awry or whatever, you can still honor the relationship that was. Yeah. Even if it isn't for today. And then not know yet what it will or will not be. You just don't know. So you just, it keeps your heart open. It allows you to live inside of what God's breath is on today and not fret about those things that are irresolvable on this day. Because if if you resolve them today, you're going to cut people out of your life that you may not need to cut out of your life. So it's just, it's unresolved. It doesn't fit. So I'm not going to keep giving place to it, at least for now. Hmm. Anyway, I'm Wayne Jacobson. Hmm. And I'm Kyle Rice. And welcome to The God Journey. Do you have something beautiful you heard this week? (laughs) Um, My best thing that I heard this week was very different. It was not nearly as serious or uh, inspiring, but it poetic, but it had me, it had me laughing. So my daughter and I were driving out to some friends of ours house. We're we're in the process of relocating homes here in Sheridan because uh, the school offered us a house as a part of my salary, which was a huge blessing. I was going to say you were had this uh, Airbnb place in the back of someone's yard or something. We have been, and it's been wonderful Great. to the point where we've had a really hard time considering whether we should stay there or move. But the college offered us a home at no cost no rent. I have to pay utilities and I have to keep it up, but there's no, there's no cost uh, as far as rent goes to us. And so that's a big deal. Uh, It allows us to even save more money for a down payment on a home in a very expensive housing market in Sheridan because the Sheridan housing market is quite a bit pricier than anything around us. So, you know, it's just been, it's just a joy to be able to have that, a blessing to have that. 
other than the having to move twice and potentially three times in a year, <laughs> that's not fun. No, it's um, not. But <laughs> anyway, we were driving over to a friend's house. They were going to let us borrow a trailer. And from the backseat, Elt says, Daddy, will you teach me how to hunt a dinosaur? I really want to learn how to shoot a dinosaur. <laughs> I, I, had to, I was dying laughing in oh the front gosh. seat. And I was like, yes, honey, I will teach you how to hunt a dinosaur. <laughs> oh, you just jump right in. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I would be happy to teach you how to hunt a dinosaur. So uh, That was one of those fun did not expect it left field conversations that come from my almost four-year-old daughter so wow yeah you haven't yet kind of got her into the fact that dinosaurs lived a long long time ago <laughs> world far away <laughs> no we haven't we haven't dived into that one quite yet but uh it'll come that conversation will come i like that i like knowing that your daughter knows you shoot stuff and can teach her how to shoot stuff and really excited about shooting stuff hey that's right. That is Wyoming life right there, my friend. That's Wyoming why life. I stay out of Wyoming as much as I can. <laughs> Jeez. That's Texas too. Yeah, you can't wait to shoot deer down there or whatever, shooting something out there. <laughs> oh man. I grew up shooting stuff on the farm, but I gave it up a while back. So I, yeah. get, I get the fun of it, but I also get the, yeah, not for me anymore. It doesn't fit. Chuck it. That's fair. That's fair. There you go. It doesn't fit. It fits for us out here in Wyoming for the season of life, but for you, it doesn't fit. And that's totally okay too. doesn't fit. And we can still be friends even so. That's right. Absolutely. Cool. <laughs> so what do you, what's on your heart today? I know we've, there's been a lot that you've been mulling over as uh, of late. Yeah. I, and I had one of those things, I had one of those moments last week where, and I'm, I'm already talking about it yet, but God opens a door onto a, I, I think of it like if you're spelunking in a cave of wisdom mm -hmm. and insight, and all of a sudden God opens a passageway and you look down there and you're going, oh my gosh, what's down that road? And mm. it's a continuation of things that have been going on the last couple of years in my life and alongside some other brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, I just, I still don't know what I'm going to do with it all. I just, I'm going down that road until God, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in I mean, take me down there, see, see what you want to teach me, but, ah, and how it impacts the world. But that's, that's mm. been, that, that's the biggest thing on my heart, but I'm not ready to probably talk about it yet. The other thing I've wanted to revisit our conversation about aspiration and capability, because I've really mm. had, a, have a conversation about it almost every week. And it's really, yes, it just, even if the person I'm talking to has never listened to the podcast, but they're they're talking in that whole zone. Like I had one guy that is struggling into a relationship with Jesus, trying to find it, and doesn't feel like he's connecting with it. And so I said, "Well, just where, where do you where do you feel stuck?" And he read me a paragraph of a letter he wrote to his brother, hmm. and it was breathtakingly beautiful. It was he was describing the intimacy and immediacy of the what he desires to have with God, the relationship. A lot of words like all and completely and all, all words that are aspirationally, incredibly wonderful, fabulous words. And this paragraph was probably as good a paragraph as I've ever heard describe the nature of a relationship with Jesus that someone's desiring. And, and I just said, so that's not working. He goes, no, it's not working at all, which is, again, the, the other language. And I go, dude, what you just described is the pinnacle of it. And it doesn't start there. 
I, I'm 30 some odd years into this side of my living love journey. And I'm telling you, I love my walk with Jesus, but it isn't that. It isn't what you're describing. It is all the best aspirations. And then and that becomes then the expectation. And then the feeling of failure that I'm not living up to that aspiration. So, and then when you get into the grace stuff, realize, well, I can't live up to that. Great. So that's perfect. But now why isn't God doing his part? And, and that's the expectation is this, hmm. which I wouldn't even, I'd, I'd read it now going beautiful, but I wouldn't expect that to be true on this side of the resurrection. Hmm. You get tastes of it. Yes. Would you... Some of it, yes, in its completeness. I'm not looking for that here. I'm not, and maybe I'm jaded and old, and you know. So, I, I, but I, I, I love that. That's the target I'm living toward. Mm -hmm. But then, can you embrace the process of getting there? Because it's the process that makes us who we are. It's not, particularly if you're dealing with God changing us, not me changing me. A lot of people pretend that that really don't have it. I know because I talk to them. I, I'll, I'll nail them down. They're kind of talking like, "My, I do this," and Jesus said that. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. They really work like you're talking about right now. Because if it, if it does, great. I want to know about it. If and then yeah. they'll kind of back off because I'll say, "Does it mean this? Does it mean that?" Say, no, 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 it doesn't mean that. Like, see, when you say it that way, other people think that's what you're living, hmm. and you're not. It's your aspirational desire. It's not your capability today. And I, and I love that capability is not, oh, I need to be more capable than if that's where people go with this, it's not going to help people, okay? Because I have this great aspiration, it's not happening because I'm not doing enough. Well, that's not going to be helpful. Because I always see Jesus as the one who shapes my capacity. So when I say I don't have the capability yet, what I'm saying is not that I don't perform that well. What I'm saying is Jesus hasn't won that in me yet. Yeah, yeah. I really like the idea that about aspiration becoming our expectation. Yeah. Because I, you know, I love that phrasing because I think so often that's the reality of what happens. And then, then it becomes this, instead of it being a, a thread that leads you into life, it becomes a whip that the enemy, the accuser hits you with. Because it's like, well, that's now all of a sudden there's this aspirational, there's this expectation that's built on aspiration, not on reality, not on experience, not on the current space that Father has you in, but this expectation of the reality of what it's supposed to be. And man, I especially in in more of the charismatic circles that I ran in, that was a, I just, I heard a lot of hurt that came out of that because there was always this grandiose idea of, this is how father, I mean, look how big and how bold and how whatever that father can do to interact with us in our lives. And it's like, yeah, he can, but is that my expectation or am I simply enjoying the relationship with him? And if that happens, great, but my relationship with him is not contingent on that happening. Man, I just, there was a lot of hurt that came out of, this is the aspiration, especially like, uh, when I was in living in Los Angeles, Redding, California was a huge thing. And, you know, Bethel and, and the name it and claim it, all that stuff that was going on there. And especially with healing, that was a big deal for their church of talking about how, oh, we, you know, we see healings all the time. Like we're, we've named it. It's just become a part of our culture, et cetera. And so all of a sudden there was this aspiration 
that has become the expectation. And then I just wonder, I mean, I think about that article that we read a long time ago on the podcast about a, an investigative reporter that went in and looked at, you know, the the supernatural school of ministry and some of the situations that happened. And there was a, a young person that fell, injured themselves. And instead of calling 911, they were pr- trying to pray that person into healing while this person's laying there with multiple broken bones and suffering. And it's like, okay, why? Yeah, could could God do that? Could God correct all those bones and heal that? Sure, absolutely he could. But I wonder what the heart, what was going on in the hearts of the people that were praying for that person to be healed. And then they had to succumb to calling 911 and having paramedics come and actually heal the person. You know, it's, it's like, I don't know. What what have you seen in those circles? I I, I do think with anything that, that expects the miraculous to be at our command and control is problematic. And I didn't grow up that way. I grew up thinking, okay, if I'm all the believer that Jesus wants me to be, I should be able to move this mountain to over there, because that's what Scripture says, and I should be able to heal anybody that needs to be healed. And I, So the idea was that God would be, at, if we got to a certain level of maturity or faith, conviction, belief in something, then God would do it. So in my mm. hands is the power to shape reality the way I want it shaped if I can pray and do it right. And then there's the, 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 the awareness that it doesn't work that way. If it were, I mean, there, there are things at 17, I remember praying for absolutely unselfish. This would definitely be the way God would do what God would do. So then God doesn't do it. So ugh, what a cruddy person I am or what a cruddy God he is or what a confusing book scripture is. And, you know, one of those areas <laughs> is where you've got to go. Yeah. And I know so many people who just give up faith, give up God, because, you know, Scripture says, and he didn't do it, instead of, I don't think Scripture says that we would come to a place of being able to utilize his power to shape reality for my maximum comfort and blessing of, for myself and my friends. I, I don't think that was ever the intent, especially there's so much in the New Testament us being shaped by trial and suffering and perseverance and God shapes us in the process of navigating the difficulties in our life. It doesn't mean that God can't do anything, because he can. But real faith doesn't rest on what God can do. It rests on what God is doing. There's a sense Mm -hmm. of our prayers and growth that is not, okay, God can do this. Because, I mean, I've been in those prayer times, don't you believe God can do it? Yes, I believe God can do it. But is he doing it right now? If he's not doing it, then our attempts to make it happen or to quote scripture at God or to put the right steps in play that God has to do are just fallacious. It's just going to wear us out. And I think that's where there's a lot of crisis of faith for people who are schooled Mm -hmm. in that idea. And then because it doesn't, life doesn't unfold the way they hope, then all the angst goes to God. All the, all the darkness goes there. And even where people just give up believing, or they don't believe yeah. God loves them, or yes. that they didn't do enough of something. And I, I really think this whole discussion of aspiration versus capacity gives people a really a good way to manage that and think it through. Mm-hmm. I got this from Rosemary. She said, the gap between aspiration and capability, oh, how helpful this is. It has taken quite a while for the penny to drop, but it has been liberating and understanding why I simply can't walk closely with Jesus through the day as I long to. 
too many distractions, too much looking in other directions to still the hunger inside. But just to know and recognize this means that my capabilities will grow as I trust the Holy Spirit to change me. I wish I'd had that as a young man, because I, as a young man, yeah. I had some incredible prophecies in my life by people who didn't even know me, who would saw my picture in the house, my senior photo, and told my mom that God was going to do this with this guy. And then mom tells me at 18, and then, man, I'm, I'm looking for, cause it, that prophecy was everything I would love and aspire to. And then you set about trying to fulfill it and thinking, well, God's yeah. going to fulfill it. And then... I can't make it happen. I can't. And God doesn't seem to be making it happen. So mm. what is all that meant to be? And I, I think those unfulfilled prophecies slash expectations are a horrible taskmaster. They're horrible. Yes. To try and serve to that and be f- continually disappointed and frustrated. And now looking back, people would say, well, what do you think? Just a bad prophecy? No, I'd say everything that woman said to my mom has come to pass. Hmm. Now, in my seven, uh, just starting my 70s. Yeah. <laughs> They've all come to pass very differently than I assumed. Not, not what I took them to mean and you know, <laughs> was trying to fulfill, but the way God has fulfilled those things, and now I see the promises like he saw the promises, instead of mm. taking the promise and reinterpreting it in Wayne's own image, which was horribly frustrating. I think the first 20 adult years of my life, I had all the same hungers I have now, but yeah. I had all the wrong tools to try and live it out. So those first 20 years of my adulthood, there's moments of loveliness and there's long stretches of frustration and anguish and anger. Mm. Most of it directed at God, because I'm kind of that guy. I'm yeah. not the guy going, okay, I'm not trying hard enough. I'm going, doing everything I can do here. And, but I'm not, I'm not perfect. I know if it, if it depends on perfection, I'm not there. But still, I think it's God not doing his part. I, I, mm. That's how I approach those things. I know most other people go, I'm a lousy person. I don't do this now. But I, I'm arrogant enough in my younger days to put all that on God. Yeah, I. I really appreciate that. I, especially thinking about it back to some of the prophetic words that have been spoken over my life and the way that I initially responded to them and the way that I interpreted them and, and very similar, the way that I tried to force them into existence. And, and now as I've been just, uh, not the grasping flowing water anymore and allowing God to, to un- unpack that for me, I look back and I'm like, man, a lot of those things, a lot of those words are coming to pass, but in a way that I would have never been able to arrange for or never would have interpreted them as in the moment. And yet, I don't know. So where does aspiration come in in regards to the conversation, like the hellfire and brimstone, sin, hell, control conversation come into play? Because I was thinking about that and I was like, okay, what are... What are the people who are in that vein, what are they aspiring to? What is their aspiration of what it means to walk with God? Is it just control and power that God is all powerful and all controlling? And if I am shaped into his will, then I slowly become that as well. Like what, I don't know what, when I think about the, even the conversations about sin and control and a lot of the ones that came in the, in the past, in my past in regards to what you know just the way that god views them the level of shame and the level of just 
ugh, that would come alongside of that. What what do you think is going on there? I, I don't know. I, I, I can only talk for me, I think. You know, at the, at the time, I would say control was a big part of it. Hmm. I wanted life to unfold the best way for Wayne. And, I, yeah. you know, yeah. God has a wonderful plan for your life. So part of the whole fear of hell thing is you want to get saved because you go to hell. The other reason you want to get saved is God has a wonderful plan for your life. And that, yeah. interesting, that wonderful plan is always in our head as, well, he's going to make me successful at this and successful at that. And he's going to make everything good over here. And and he's going to heal all my every pains. And he's going to fix everything in my life. So if you oppose me, you oppose God. And so it is really about controlling an environment in which I feel good about life mm. and me and God. And then I can be grateful and rejoicing and all those other elements. And so I think control is a huge part of it. And, mm. and the frustration of when I can't control and I, mm. I can't get God to do what I think God promised me he could do, would do. Yeah. Claimed it, prayed it, cried, got people to agree with me. I've got two or three people agreeing on the same thing and it didn't happen. And I, I love that life. And I know People don't like this, particularly people who are literalist, scriptural people. Uh, but I read this quote last week. I thought it was really interesting about how there's two books for us to read to understand God. One is the Bible, who gives us so much about who God is and what God is. And the other part is reading the book of our life. Yes. Where that yep. works or doesn't work, or what I think God should do, he doesn't do. Instead of going back to Scripture and demanding that my life, that God do what I interpret Scripture to say he must do, and that's always leaving out a whole lot of Scriptures to claim the few that I really, really like. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would say control is a huge part of it. And the, the, the mm -hmm. desire for success and desire for a pain-free, si sickness-free existence. In fact, in the tradition I grew up in, we were much more aware about God healing sickness than we ever were about God transforming our sin. <laughs> mm, <laughs> we, yes. we want the yep. goodies from God. We don't want to the, the change on the process that's going to transform me from the inside. Is that mm. how you see it too? Or was it more, was it something other than control? Because I don't know what else it would have been other than that. No, I, I agree with you. I, I think about, well, even just your comment there about a higher focus on the healing versus uh, on the rest restoration and healing from your, our sin, right? Like, I just think about Jesus and his comment of what is it, what's easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk, you know? And it's like, do you want the stand up and walk or do you want this, you know, and, and just that whole idea. And yeah, I think control is a big part of it. And I like the idea of, of the aspiration of being in control and saying, this is what it's going to look like. This is how it's going to, how my life is going to be because now I have this, I have this walk with God and this is what the Bible says. And yet I think we're in a really interesting space right now. And this is, this has been some of the conversation that I've been having a lot with my, with my students is this idea about a culture that is navigating the difference between feeling and fact or feeling in common sense, or feeling in scientific research, or feel, you know, and there was a period of time where I feel like the, the trends, especially so being as an older millennial, one of the primary trends that came up, there's a lot of discussion around feeling and feelings will lead you astray. Feelings can't be trusted. Feelings don't matter. Feeling like just kill your emotion. Like there's a lot of that that was swirling around. And now what 
at least for me, what I am observing is it's like this, there's been this major push. And I think partially spearheaded by my generation of going into this. Well, no, it's all about feeling. It's all about how you feel and how you like how you personally are experiencing it. And it's like common sense and fact and grounding and has gone completely out the window and isn't even a consideration anymore. And we've been discussing, we've been having this conversation in my sociology classes about what does a healthy balance between emotion and, and especially like as we're talking about this, experiencing his love in the day to day, that relational experience, and yet it not be it's only about feeling and it's only about how I feel and about how I experience it and not getting lost and caught up on that end of the spectrum. Yeah. Cause I think when I think of feelings too, I think about the feeling of God, God telling me this or showing me that, or the feeling I, Sarah was talking to someone last week and she came back and she said, I was just sharing something. She said, well, we don't believe in that kind of God anymore. Somebody, somebody responded. And I, mm. my first thought in that thing is, that doesn't mean it's true. It's because you don't believe it or you don't feel it doesn't change the, to me, there's something called truth with a capital T, which isn't yeah. the legalistic interpretation of scripture to go with our particular doctrine or ideal. It, it's there, there's something, when I say, I don't, I don't know, I don't feel like God's hands in that doesn't mean God's hand isn't in it and I'm missing it. There's, mm. there's only that behind it, which is, okay, how I, I can say that the one movie Disney did about the inside of the brain or whatever, where opinions oh, yeah. are not facts. Inside out. Yeah, yep. yeah. Opinions are not facts. And I'm going, okay, that's that's really good. I People have to stay grounded in there. Just because I have an opinion about something doesn't make me right. But then the trusting our feelings, I, I like saying, gosh, the, can the intellect lead me astray? It can. Can yes. my feelings lead me astray? They can. So it's yes. not it's not battle between those two things. It's how those two things come together in Christ's mm. revelation in my heart so that Things and I I like that in a continuing way some of my opinions and feelings get challenged by God and life and pushed somewhere else. I, I mean I like that. Mm. If all my opinions are right, then I've stopped growing. Mm. And I just don't think any of us are that bright to say all, all my you know the way I see it is the way it is, <laughs> not necessarily. And you've got to hold some suspension of my own. I'll call it arrogance. I think that's it. But my own idea that I've, I've got everything nailed down now. So if I feel a certain way, then that certain way is true. Just the thought that came to me as we, you were talking about that is that feelings can't be challenged. Because there was this idea where, you know, feelings were dismissed, emotions were disregarded, etc. And now it's to this point where it's like feelings can't be challenged. Well, if they can't be challenged, then... That we're in a we're in a pretty spooky spot. If if feelings aren't up for grabs or aren't up for being challenged or aren't up for being pushed, because it's like okay, that's that's how I grow is when I'm feeling either I have a certain feeling and it gets challenged, and all of a sudden I experience this disruption or this discomfort, and now I've got to take a look at it, or just the feeling of discomfort, and it's like we try to even that we're trying to avoid. You know, it's like oh, I don't. I don't want my feelings hurt. I don't want to be challenged. I don't want to have any kind of emotional distress or discomfort. And then, and then we get into a, a national, at least national, potentially global conversation about where has resilience gone? Like, why is there no emotional resilience whatsoever when it comes to having our emotions challenged or having our ideas challenged or us coming up against some pressure and seeing that pressure, not as a growth chamber, but as an enemy that needs to be executed. 
You know, like people when they talk about, I'm only speaking my truth. That that always oh man, that's <laughs> something that always pegs my yuck meter clear off the. Even if I, if you're just telling me, look, this is how I honestly see it. That's fine. But when you say I speak my truth, then what I see is the truth. And if you don't let me live it, or you don't challenge it, and I honestly, I don't challenge people till they're hungry for truth. I I don't. Yeah. I'm not going to rain on yeah. your parade. That's you're speaking your truth. But do I think you're in a healthy place? That's a different question. And if you want to probe yeah. that with me, we, we can be happy to talk about it. But that take, and I think that's what a hungry heart is. And it's just so few hungry hearts that are going, okay, I think this way, I could be wrong. Help me. How would I know that what I say is my truth matches with God's truth? Mm-hmm. And and the other crowd say, well, I just quote a scripture over here. That, that that pegs my yuck meter just as much. The way we misapply yeah. scripture to people's situations, you know, follow the rules. Because I do think it's being honest with our feelings, honest with our perceptions is really important. Sarah and I are learning this in her process of growth right now, because there's there's ways her uh, coping mechanisms that she feels a certain way in a situation, whether or not that's the way she needs to feel or not. Correct. Yeah, so, and I don't rip down the feeling, go, oh, you need to feel that way. I shouldn't. And no, no, you can feel that way. But we have to step back and say, is it true? We had experience this week with the new puppy, exactly that. And I was just telling her, okay, let's work through this. Just logically, your feeling is unfounded. Here's why I think it is. And just walking her through that. And she's listening, processing. And that's. That's my journey in Jesus. It's been that. It's been, I have feelings, strong feelings about things. Then God begins to challenge them. And often through other people, things I'm reading or whatever, I get challenged going, okay, am I sure about that as I was? And maybe not. Maybe there's something else to learn here. Well, and for me, the idea or the term of speaking my truth, I mean, that came out of therapeutic circles, unfortunately. And I, I have a really, really, really hard time with that statement because it ends the conversation. Yes. When you're saying it, I'm speaking my truth, my truth, and we put the word truth on it, it tends to end the conversation instead of I'm speaking my perception or I'm speaking my experience or I'm, I'm speaking the way that I am encountering this. Okay. All of those have pliability. All of those right. have ability for adaptation, for change, for growth, for healing, restoration, or to be accurate. All of those can be realities. Whereas if I'm speaking my truth, it just puts a period on it. And it's like, you can't challenge my truth because it's my truth. You can't challenge it. It's like, well, I can. But then if I do, then the relationship ends, the person's feelings are hurt, and they come, they walk away, they go into a psychological meltdown, you know, whatever, <laughs> whatever the implosion looks like. That's why finding hunger is really important. When people are saying that, this is my truth, I don't challenge it because I know you've put mm. a period on it. So d- do I agree or not? It's not even important. I don't have to tell you I don't agree. Yeah. That's why finding hungry hearts is so critical. We're over time, but I'm going to leave this. Uh, I want to leave this one other email I got about this aspiration capacity from Ron. He said, I believe a contributing factor to my bipolar depression is the pursuit of spiritual perfection exacerbated by teachings from Christian radio and misinterpretation of the Bible. In a nutshell, I was trying to aspire to be a perfect God follower without having the capacity to do so. Looking back now, I know it was a fruitless pursuit, especially not having the Spirit of God indwelling me. I am much more relaxed these days, knowing that it is God, not me, that is to align my aspirations and my capacities 
Ironically, as I aspire less, I become more capable. I think that is the aspect of rest in the love, rest, and play you talk about. It is God working in me. I just have to let it happen. Hmm. That ties back so well to the idea of capacity and aspiration, because I even that idea of like speaking my truth, I wish they would say, I'm speaking my aspiration, but I don't know what I have the capacity for yet. <laughs> it's like, I'm speaking, my, I'm speaking my ideal, I'm speaking my aspiration, but I don't know what I have the capability or the capacity for yet. I think people are saying speaking my truth the way they say it are not talking about their aspirations. That's true. Unfortunately. That's fair. Thank you for traveling with us today on The God Journey. You can join this conversation by visiting thegodjourney.com. 